Um, so back um, in one of my years of teaching at one of the schools I worked at, um, there was a family that had three girls. Mm-hmm. And this family were having a particularly tough time. So there was a bit of a breakdown with mum and dad and, you know, um, but mum then became quite unwell. And so she was in and out of hospital a lot, mm-hmm. which then for these kids put them in a bit of a, you know, difficult situation. Yeah. So eventually their family jumped in and helped out. Um, and But then the one big issue, well, the one big really difficult thing was that this family couldn't get the kids to and from school. Mm-hmm. So as a school, we rallied around this family. Um, we were never forced into it or, you know, there was it was just, you know, who's around, what can we do? Um, and so what was quite interesting, so the effectively there was a group of about six or seven teachers and we offered to go drive the kids every day. Yeah. So we'd, you know, pick them up at a designated spot at a time, drive them to the school. If they hadn't eaten breakfast, we'd pull over, buy them breakfast yeah. as we're getting a coffee for ourselves, of course. Um, but then at the other end of the day, we'd then turn them around and there'd be someone to drive them home. Yeah. So it's, you know, um, and then I know I think the school helped out with, you know, paying for kind of camps and excursions and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, also just getting them to other school outings, you know, mm-hmm. so if there was a disco on on a Friday night, making sure oh, yeah. that then they safely got home. Yeah. Um, I know the teachers, I didn't teach these kids, mm-hmm. but I know that the teachers that also worked with them in their classrooms, I know they must have given them a lot of support and emotional help and yeah. all of those things. But just this driving, you know, yeah. like it was quite an interesting thing to suddenly, and this is before I had kids, yeah. you know, so suddenly I was a, a, a mum oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing it in reverse, going to pick up the kids and dropping them at school, yeah. you know. But even just though that 20 minutes in the in the car mm. with them, it was really nice just to have a chat with them and see how they were going and touch base and, you know, and I suppose that there was a bit of that positivity maybe in their life or chance mm-hmm. to kind of debrief a little bit. Yeah. Um, again, like we were never forced. It was who's around, who can help, who wants to help. Um, and I think this group of teachers that was a lot of my friendship circle too. So it was we felt kind of nice adding and, and helping out. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and look, in some days it made it difficult because you'd arrive to school not far off the bell and, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, you might have to leave straight after school to drop them home. Yeah. So you might not have been able to finish off some things. But in the end, I think we felt good about what we were doing, mm. you know, and, and being able to help and support this family, you know, was um, – and I know that the kids particularly appreciated what we did. Yeah. So it was just this one moment in my career that I just I kind of look back on and, and glad that we could make that difference. Mm. Every teacher, I think, has got a bit of a story like that and it's – I think a large part of what makes education tick, it's, it's that – stepping outside the maybe the strict rules or mm. the strict what I have to do for mm. my role and into a into something that goes beyond that um, to, to really support a family or a student that needs the extra support. Yeah, definitely. I think it's quite important and I think it's something that you don't learn at, at uni mm. and it's, you know, and, and I don't even think it's someone, uh, you know, even some people, it's maybe skills some people have to learn, yeah. but then a lot of us it's kind of already innate, like it's part of me and, you know, I think mm. from, you know, I've got a brother with a disability, but I think there's that that so many experiences I've already had that yeah. then wants me to help others. Yeah. But, yeah, it's quite interesting. And, look, not everyone stepped up and some mm. people, you know, thought it wasn't a great idea mm. and didn't particularly believe in it. Yeah. But this group of teachers and, and, and leadership, you mm. know, at the time, you know, felt really strongly for it. As much as I love that story, what makes me worry about it is that 
almost the point I raised earlier that it was stepping outside mm. the strict rules of definitely, the job. It definitely. was probably, you know, if the department at a, you know, bureaucratic level found out you were mm. burrowing kids in your mm. own car mm. without a mm. hundred bits of a risk management oh, plan yeah. found out, it, it, it you know, may have been frowned upon. Mm. And I, I am worried that um, those sort of things at a systemic level are allowed to fall through the cracks and it takes a group of teachers who are willing to step outside the boundaries of their role to, to really sort of address it. Mm. Yeah, it is a really, really fine line. And, and look, this probably was a little bit before the thousands of pieces of paperwork <laughs> we had to fill out to do anything. Yeah. But, we, I mean, we're still in saying that. Like, I still had to hand over my licence and we still got, yeah, you know, still permissions from the parents, yeah. like from the, well, from the families. Yeah. And, and, you know, I still had my car insurance. And, you know, yeah. so there was still definitely a level of yeah. proper responsibility yeah. from everyone's part. Um, but, yeah, it, it's hard now, I think, with things the way they are, so many strict rules and mm. paperwork and things to fill out, which I understand will support teachers in the end. But, yeah, in those moments where you need to go and help students, mm. I suppose it's up to, yeah, it's a really mm. fine line. So our topic of discussion today is social justice and its role in schools. Um, and leading to our big question, which is on top of everything else teachers do in schools, is it even reasonable to expect that schools address social disadvantage? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there's so many things in there. Every time there's any sort of societal issue, the solution seems to be to, you know, oh, let's add it to the curriculum. Yep. And so many teachers feel so bogged down in just delivering the curriculum that if we were to add this idea that schools are a site where social disadvantage can be addressed, is, is that even a reasonable expectation of other teachers? Yeah. It's we have already so much on and part of it to then, you know, add all these other things too. Mm. Yeah, it adds a lot of pressure definitely to yeah. teachers. And in relation to your story, mm. you said there were some teachers who didn't engage with that, yeah. that work um, and some teachers who didn't think it was something they should be doing. And I, I imagine they're in that boat where they see, well, I've got a thousand other things to yes. do. To add this to my load is an unreasonable expectation. Yep, exactly. Uh, and so when we look at a, a reading, of, this is my turn this, this time around, um, this led me back to a book I read a number of years ago. It's called Schooling the Rust Belt Kids by T Pat Thompson. Um, and she was a principal in um, Adelaide, in sort of those um, suburbs in Adelaide that are associated with manufacturing, sort of car manufacturing, yep. those yep. sort of things. Um, so she worked, so it's a Rust Belt, almost in the same term that's used in the U.S., and interestingly, um, you know, sort of the plight of the U.S. Rust Belt has been seen as a sort of big political player in the, in the, I'm going to call it bizarre politics that's happening there yep. right now. Um, so Adelaide has a similar sort of set of suburbs that similarly were built around manufacturing, built around manufacturing jobs that exist to a smaller extent, if at all, anymore, and have led to a series of you know disadvantaged situations for a yep. lot of families in there. So she talks about the the difficulties that are associated with teaching like that. And what I really like about it is what's sort of a large case study of a segment of a city that's undergoing that decline and its impact on its schools. Yep. And it's a really um, articulate portrayal of all the interlocking things, so the, the policies that governments try and put in to yep. address those disadvantages and how it's often they're counterproductive. Mm. Um, the, the sort of lived experience of actually working with families who are experiencing this kind of disadvantage every day. Yep. Um, and then sort of, you know, what kind of things a school can effectively do at a local level to engage with their community and to engage with their students. 
Um, but the part I suppose I want to talk about particularly today is the part that for some weird reason really um, really stuck with me from the book, which is this idea that um, the rhetoric of disadvantage. And it sort of talks about the media debate that happens around disadvantage and how those that, you know, by any objective measure truly are disadvantaged are less able to portray themselves as such. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they, they may... Um, you know, they don't want to, especially in the media sense or outward to the rest of the community sense, be talking about their community as a site of, you know, disadvantage, as a site of crime, as a site of, you know, dysfunction. Yep. They don't want to be putting that message out there to the rest of the world. So instead they talk about the positive things. They talk about how well things are doing, how, how good this is, how in relation to this other area that I know of we're actually doing quite well. Yep. And then on the other hand, people who are, again, on any objective measure, actually quite advantaged in our society, manage to then use the language of disadvantage to uh, push their own interests. So they get to say things like, you know, well, that other school gets twice the funding we get. Yeah. That's not fair for my kid. Why should my kid not get that higher level of funding? Yeah. They get to talk about, you know, fairness and, and disadvantage, even though, you know, it's very difficult to portray them in any way as disadvantaged. Um, I don't know. I've never really thought about that debate like yes. that before. But, I mean, I remember a colleague once telling me about um, a relative of hers uh, having a very similar – she lived in a very advantaged pocket of Melbourne and sent her children to a, a very advantaged school yep. but talked about how it wasn't fair that that school didn't attract the same level of state government funding yes. as a government school in a disadvantaged area and how that wasn't fair for her kid and why should her kid miss out. Yeah, and and I was like, wow, this is exactly what was talked about in the book. This person doesn't need the extra help, and yet gets to use the language of disadvantage when those who are actually in a disadvantaged area, you know, aren't permitted to use yeah. that language. Wow, that's, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I'm like, I'll have to get the, I'll have to actually have a read and, yeah, interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Um, nice. And and I've used the word already a number of times, and and I'm reluctant to use it actually. That the term disadvantage. Yep. I went to a um, conference recently where um, a researcher from Sydney um, talked about the, the fact that they're leaning towards using um, the word uh, people in precarious situations. Uh-huh. And that actually rang really true for the story you told earlier, yes. Kate, around, yes. you know, disadvantage is like a label you stick yep. on someone. Yep. Whereas what you were describing was a situation yep. that they were currently in. And the situation was very precarious. Those kids could have stopped going to school. Oh, you know, easily. And, and so it required some sort of intervention to deal with that precariousness. Yes. And even like they might have even had to move schools, but then with mm. so much changing their yeah. life, is it fair that then they've got a huge amount of change, yeah. but then suddenly that they're expected to then move into a new school as well, which would have could have been easier from some perspectives. But mm. no, but I do really like that a situation because I'm sure a year or two beforehand mm. they wouldn't have been yeah. disadvantaged at yeah. all, you know, and – who knows now where they are or how things are going. Mm. But it was just that situation mm. where they needed people to jump in and support them. Yeah, so the argument they were making was disadvantage is a label that sticks to someone. Precariousness is a situation yep. that you currently yep. happen yep. to be in and, and is changeable. I really like that. I think that's a really good way to describe, um, you know, yeah, moments in someone's life and particularly in a school. Yeah, I think that's, I really like that actually, really do that. We might bring in our guest now. Um, we've got with us today Kylie Busk, who's an organiser at the IAU. How are you going, Kylie? Good, thank you, Max. It's 
great to have you here. Okay. Welcome. Um, so if we start, just if you can talk about, you know, your engagement with um, education and how and how, how you've dealt with students in various situations in the past. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I That concept of social justice, I don't think it's part of uh, my understanding when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Right. But I grew up in country Victoria, so yeah. I'm from South Gippsland, and um, I feel now, with adult eyes on it, really lucky to have grown up in, you know, a proper community. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about that concept of social justice, it in, in a genuine community that cares about, you know, the people within it, mm-hmm. there are times when people offer support and, yes, I didn't know that that was the terminology. In fact, I didn't know that that was really the terminology until I started working in Catholic Ed. Yeah. Um, and I remember being very – I'm not Catholic, so mm-hmm. it was a big deal, you know, Thanks, Mr. Kennett, for not offering any government school jobs when I was graduating, <laughs> but I found myself working in independent schools and I remember being quite um, uncomfortable about the religious aspect until mm. quite early in my first year when I thought, okay, I get this social justice stuff, mm-hmm. I get this sort of right and wrong and responsibility and opportunity and sense of privilege, but that being balanced with responsibility yeah. and I, I'm I'm comfortable I can go with this. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I can sort of remember that it's a big part of being sort of in a in a Catholic school, this idea that you you're working for fairness and mm. equity and equality and, you know, this sense of um, justice yeah. is a really significant theme. Um, it's an interesting one with kids, though, because I, I, by the time I finished my teaching, I had a, um, I was working in a, a pathways vicar, a coordinating role. And I had an office, um, yep. and that was a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah nice. Impressive. And I remember one of the things I had on my office wall was a little quote, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure where it came from. I still don't really know the source, but it said, um, "Fairness is not about sameness." Yeah. So what I would often have was discussions with kids about, you know, why such and such didn't have to wear the uniform yes. oh, yeah. or, you know, um, so had the wrong shoes on for a month. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it wasn't any of their business of the conversation I'd had with that kid about that issue. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, what I trusted was that I'd made a good decision about, you know, giving them the little pass that they needed to be, you know, out of uniform for yep. a period. And so you started to just realise that having conversations with kids that they didn't need to know other people's circumstances Mm -hmm. but that it wasn't always going to look the same and that needed to be okay. So that's that idea of them sort of trusting in someone to make the call about it. And But that's a very challenging thing for a teenage Mm. boy in particular. Mm. Um, But I think that that was a... A really important part of my role is that I had these really individual kids who had all sorts of different needs and mm. wants and desires for their life, and it was part of my job to try to piece it together and and help help it work out for them. And so you find yourself in really unusual situations where you're sitting in people's lounge rooms talking about their child because yep. they won't come to the school. Yep. Um, and it's interesting now with my with my union hat on. Some of the situations I put myself mm. in as a teacher, 
I would oh, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> you know, I would advise so strongly yeah. against it now, but I get the intent behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it's about us working out ways that we can uh, help people in the really important social justice work they do mm-hmm. um, without it being to their own disadvantage. I think that's a real challenge. You raised something really interesting there, and that's around the nature of um, Catholic schools, um, their their commitment to social justice. Mm. Um, I had very little to do with Catholic education until I started in this role, Mm. and and we deal with Catholic schools quite a bit. It it was a big surprise to me. I I sort of, um, I don't know, I I think having gone to government schools myself, had seen, you know, um, in like schools in the private sector as, you know, somehow, I don't know, anathema to the idea of social justice. Um, but I, I think it's really admirable how how much Catholic education wears its commitment to social justice on its sleeve. Um, it doesn't shy away from, from that fact. I think it's a real common ground. I, I know from a union perspective, mm-hmm. it's our common ground with our Catholic employers yeah. is this concept of social justice and trying to improve people's lives by working together. It's a theme that helps us to have some of that commonality, which is really important. But I think the, the thing about it is most uh, most Catholic orders have been set up particularly around providing education and as a means of improving the lives of, of, of yeah, really disadvantaged people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most orders sort of had, they may have had, you know, an aspect where you were educating the ruling class, mm-hmm. but, but they almost used that to have the resources to also do it for the really poor in the society as well. So that's a really common theme. You know, I'm not an expert on it, but in terms of, you know, Catholic ed and Mm. their background, but um, I just always think that what's acknowledged is actually all schools, I think, do this very well. Mm. You know, um, my sister works in government ed and I've blown away by the opportunities that the kids in her area get Mm. to be involved in their community. And I just think that what we know is that the community comes into our classrooms Mm -hmm. and all the good and all the bad of that community comes into our classrooms. So we're dealing with it anyway. And so we've got to find constructive ways of dealing with it Mm. and planned ways of dealing with it rather than otherwise I just think it has a propensity to sort of just, you just feel like you're being hit across the head with it. And if you haven't found some way to, turn it into a positive mm-hmm. and turn it into an opportunity in your classroom, I think you, you've sort of missed, missed, a, missed a really valid learning opportunity. One of the things that I, I always sits in the back of my mind whenever we talk social justice in education yeah. is for the right-wing media, let's, let's put it all in a, in a barrel together, who um, like to portray teachers as a bunch of pinko lefties who are trying to influence their children to, you know, march in the street and form the communist revolution. Um, And I'm exaggerating here to make the point. But at one level, I was always a little uncomfortable with, um, you know, how overt to get about social justice issues with young people because I was aware that not everyone shares my political beliefs. Um, How how did you find that, Kylie? Was that something that came up often? Did you feel like you were... Not while I was in a school. Right. Um, it's something I feel is 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 certainly much more part of the conversations that I'm involved in now. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm some pinko lefty, yeah. you know. Um, but 
I, I was interested this morning as I was driving in. Um, I heard that the um, education secretary in the United States, mm-hmm. who, who's clearly quite a controversial figure, mm-hmm. um, she apparently has declared a new war, mm-hmm. and it's a war on <laughs> education. And essentially, she was making the point that you've just made. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really it, because what she was saying is that at all levels, from 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 kindergarten right through to tertiary in mm-hmm. the United States, it there is a <laughs> there is a there is a pinky agenda about you know these concepts of social inclusion yeah. and you know um, and left left agenda stuff. And and I couldn't be more outraged by it. I'm actually an ex-politics teacher um, and I loved that I, at the end of year with my year 12s, um, we would, they would have a bit of a thing about which way I voted. Right. So it had oh, been... Oh, work out which way you voted. Yeah. yeah. Because, and so it was a real challenge for me all year mm-hmm. to try to keep it as level so that yeah, they were guessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... I was always, you know, it was a, there were some years it was much harder than others mm-hmm. um, to keep it level, mm. but it wasn't my job to teach them what to think. No. Yes. It was my job to teach them how mm. to think. Yeah. And and I think that, again, there are lots and lots of um, people who are working really hard to not to do exactly the same thing. And so to, again, make these blanket statements about, you know, um, some perceived negative of mm. social justice in in schools being a, a way to you know somehow brainwash our children, I think is just really yep. problematic. Kate, can can you take over? <laughs> that thing, <laughs> it's going to take me a good thirty or forty minutes. Before I... Sorry to ruin oh your name. I just wanted to say, like, people listening, Max has put his pen down. He sat back in his chair <laughs> and hands over the face. Who knew? I didn't even know we really needed a really war on education. Him. But apparently, apparently that's, that's the number one driving issue in education in the United States when all of the challenges they have with their school system and their funding system and, you know, like, yes, there are issues here in Australia, but but nothing like yeah. what they're experiencing. And you just go, well, they're really, they're missing the point. Mm. And missing the point too because I think it, what the social justice agenda I think also helps with us being seen to be part of what, what type of society we want mm. yeah. and what our values are as a country. Yeah. And actually I think there's lots of that where there's sort of no argument here and I think we're actually really, really fortunate that there's so much yeah, common good yeah. um, in, in a lot of the discussions we have. It's it's perhaps one of the things that marks us as quite different to a number of other countries where, yes, we've got disadvantage. I'm not saying mm. that it doesn't exist, but but not maybe the the overwhelming, you know, numbers that they're dealing with in other countries. Some of those situations you hear, you just you just don't know how they're ever going to fix that. Mm. No. I'd, I'd love to share your optimism here, Kylie. <laughs> I've got to be optimistic. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I, I, I mean, there's a, there's a growing um, movement in Australia, I'd say, in politics mm. that, likes to you know, model itself after some of that 
you know, harebrained stuff mm. of, of, of the US. Um, and I think there's a, a growing sense that, yeah, that, that education needs a reform um, here as well. Mm. Uh, and and one of the things that really gets on my nerves about that one is, is we, we like to hold up, you know, the test results. So PISA, every time it comes out, oh, my God, you know, there's a, there's a slip backwards in maths. All that stuff, and, and and the people who want to say, you know, it's because of these pinkos doing it, but any sensible analysis you hear of the PISA data or any of those large data talks about the long tail that we have mm. in education. It's this idea that actually Australia does a pretty good job educating the bulk of its students, and what really drags down any of our test results is this long tail, this this number of students that sit on the back end of the results. And they're the ones that need you know, extra support in yeah. order to, to lift their results, which in every way says a social justice agenda mm. ought to be how we're thinking about lifting the results of this, yeah. this tail end of our results. How can we be real about expecting kids to come into schools learning mm-hmm. if, if they're hungry? Yeah. yeah. Yep. You know, it, it's a no-brainer. Mm. You know what you're like when you're sort of having a late, you know, late lunch and your brain goes to mush. Yeah. You're not a kid. You know, there, there's just so much about that and then all of the other stuff on top of that. You know, I, I think we're normally pretty lucky as teachers. We've normally come from a background where we're, yeah. you know, being read to, where we've got exposure to lots of sort of cultural things or, you know, there's lots of discussion and yes. interaction at home and, you know, I'm the daughter of a teacher so, of yeah. course, you know, having things rammed down my throat <laughs> way before I really necessarily wanted to be doing them. Yeah. But now I really appreciate those opportunities that I got given and I guess that that to me is a really key part of it. Every kid deserves opportunity and um, I'm, there's, there's a quote in the foyer of the building that we share with all of the other oh, education yeah. unions and it's um, the Nelson Mandela quote, and it's that I think that the reason that there's, you know, this is really going to the big picture stuff, mm. but I think the reason why we um, have so many um, people who are to the right of our political agenda um, talking down education mm. is they know that education is a really, really powerful tool in empowering people. Yeah. Um, and so it... it you know, um, I almost avoid having those sorts of conversations in school because I, I realise that that makes me sound like some sort of, um, you know, um, conspiracy theorist. Mm, mm. But what I do know is even people who go, oh, I'm not really into unions, mm-hmm. um, when you actually start talking to them about their work and you talk about it at that really local level, mm-hmm. people who work in schools are overwhelmingly helpers and doers. Mm-hmm. And when they see a kid that's not travelling well or a family Mm. that's not travelling well, they will work out the most extraordinary ways to Mm. offer support. And when they're aware of things happening in their community where there needs to be fundraising or things Mm. done, they'll chuck their hat in the ring and they'll get it done. And the more that we can have the conversation that that is the building block of society Mm. and we almost, you know, focusing on that rather than the big picture stuff, I think it will always help us to be, in a in way, immunised against whatever happens at that sort of policy level. Mm. Although at the same time, unions in particular have an absolutely fundamental battle to always be pushing back about those sorts of policy items that are just wrong. 
I like your take on the idea that the, the helpers and the doers mm. are the fundamental unit of society. Yep. Um, because I think when Kate told her story earlier on around, you know, the group of teachers that helped this family, you know, manage to keep their children mm. engaged in education, my reaction to it was that's a great story, but it's sort of not systemic. Yep. And I think when you say if we consider the helpers as, you know, the fundamental units, then it doesn't need to be systemic. You don't have to set up a hundred million systems. No. You just need to respect the fact that people should and can step into those sort of roles when it's required. It's just a You could take a snapshot of a hundred schools and it would blow your mind what's happening in those schools. You know, you just – and sometimes it actually takes a little bit of picking off the surface because – when you actually start to ask people questions about what they're doing yep. in this way, they diminish so many of the things that are really big deals, like that. That mm. probably, you know, if that's not the situation in the school anymore, sorry, so the situation that Kate um, was talking about earlier, yeah. then if that's no longer the situation, the the sort of social history of that within that school, yeah. that workplace, is, is sometimes a bit lost. but. But what you know is it'll just have morphed into something else. Yes. And and so it's really interesting sometimes to talk to people about how how they've got a particular role in a school. You know, they're running some sensational mm. program, yep. and it's you know far too often a love job yep. that takes a lot of time. But they really see it as being so entrenched with with their work. Yep. You know that they can't see how you would continue to be motivated for the job mm. if you didn't have that element to it, yeah. which can be really challenging when it's also becoming a bit of a thing around, you know, well, time time yeah. that you're putting into that maybe is impacting on the other parts of your job and you're actually not required to yeah. do that bit. But, you know, communities have ways of around these things as well. I'll pull this back a little bit to a more individual level because something you said much earlier on, Kylie, really interested me, and that's the idea of how you help students understand that um, sameness yeah. isn't the same as, um, you know, social justice, yeah. you know, everyone getting the same isn't yeah. the same. Because I, I remember quite vividly when I was 16 and 17, my fundamental assumption was that everybody basically had the same sort of life as me and that's so not true um it was a failure to recognize the myriad of advantages i had that very few other people actually experienced um but i'm not sure how anyone could have really explained that to me in a way that would have made sense because i just couldn't see outside of my own advantage um i was very fortunate uh, when i was teaching uh, in my late 20s, my first overseas trip was as part of a school group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a, a, a brother-school relationship with schools in the Philippines, mm-hmm. in Manila in particular. And um, in Manila, the, the school that we visited was the elite school in Manila. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, kids were billeted out into um, family, to families. Mm-hmm. Um, their experience was just mind-blowing because they were in um, households where there were servants. Yeah. Um, they, they were being chauffeured to school. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just a very, very different life. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the remarkable privilege of people, but also they were driving past 
people who li- literally lived on the side of the road. Mm, yeah. And so that real social inequity mm. um, was just in your face, yeah. you know. Um, Asian countries are great for reminding you of that, I think. Um, but what we were really impressed with was um, we were involved. Uh, the school had a, a really uh, intensive night school. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave over their facilities to community groups oh, to yeah. run particularly vocational-focused programs of a night. Mm-hmm. And what we were surprised about is these people that had clearly worked all day you know, were essentially homeless or very rudimentary housing mm. who their value on education mm. was just mind-blowing. Mm. And I think just that exposure to a different world is pretty, uh, you know, I can't imagine having had that as a, as a teenager. Mm. I, I didn't get to travel when I was younger, um, not, not overseas. And so that was a really important sort of exposure opportunity for them. But then the flip side was also really important because those kids from the Philippines came to Australia mm-hmm. and had the same immersion experience in local households. And the thing that they were really always blown away by was their freedom. Yeah. They hopped on and off trams. They, you know, went to the shops. The kids that were in these, you know, quite exclusive mm. suburbs in Manila lived in compounds yeah. with, you know, the real barbed wire and broken glass sort of fences. And so there was that whole thing yeah. about, you know, someone could come and try and take yeah. your, your thing. Yeah. And yeah. so you just sort of realised that um, we've got to expose kids outside of the classroom. I yeah. guess that's what it comes yeah. back to, yeah. isn't it? You know, that's a pretty amazing opportunity mm. that those kids had. But there were certainly ways that you expose kids to different experiences mm. that just make them stop and reflect on their life and mm. help them have better perspective about, you know, what's fair, what's reasonable. I, I just got one more story there. We were involved in the project to do um, called Blaze Aid after the bushfires in Victoria. Oh, yeah. yep. um, so we took groups of kids, um, so our VCAL class as part of their community service um, went out to um, help rebuild fences that have been lost during the bushfires. Yep. Anyway, the first week they hated it. <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> hated it. It was really dirty. It was hot. It was, you know, pretty gross. Um, and what they were also really hung up on was the first family or the first household that we went to assist. Um, it wasn't their. It wasn't their house. It was their like. It was like their bush retreat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids were outraged by that. Mm-hmm. And and on the bus trip on the way home, they're going, oh, this is just rubbish. This. Why are we, you know, being taken out to help somebody who actually lives in Blackrock, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I go, well, we don't get a choice about that. And they've still lost stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was really interesting because the next week we were with a family where they had really young kids and they were playing with, the boys were playing with the kids during the breaks and stuff. And they'd had a, the, the, uh, mother told the story of what had happened for them on that day and it was really harrowing. Like it still makes the hairs on the back of my neck um, stand up. And I know the boys were really impacted by hearing that story, mm-hmm. but she made the the connection for them that that rebuilding process, no matter whose house it was, that she just needed her community back mm-hmm. and she needed it to look normal and she needed her kids not to be seeing destruction all yeah. the time. And so that sense of purpose to work and that connection with other people, I think, is just a real fundamental. And Kate, I put the question to Kylie earlier around how you explained to young people, mm. you know, the mm. um, the fact that social justice isn't just 
the same every yeah, month. Is yeah. that something that was? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think you always have moments through the year with students. You know, there's it could even just be. I mean, it's not even maybe is it as a disadvantage, but you know, there's one student who's on a sticker reward chart because of whatever mm, reason. Yeah. And it's like. Mm-hmm why aren't I getting stickers yeah. for doing the job that I do all the yeah. time? Like I, I do really well. How come yeah. I'm not getting that like every lesson reward, mm. you know? And so there's always though, or yeah, or like you said, with the shoes or the different uniform mm. or rolling in late or maybe not having all the homework. Like, you know, I know there was one child that we just wanted literally for him to read every night, yeah. you know, and even that was a massive, yeah. you know, and so other kids, you know, in grade six are like, well, hang on, how come he just gets to read? Yeah. We're doing all these hours of homework. <laughs> You know, and, and it is, but I really wish that I'd had that saying that you had, you know, that like that fair. What, what, can you... Fairness is not the same. Yeah. Not, not, I had to write it down myself, is not about sameness. Yep. I really like that because I think that might have been able to, you know, to, mm. for them to understand. But I think I do try as well in those moments to somehow flatten it and distract and, yeah. you know, go to somewhere else. But then I also think I try to give them examples down the track or to try and teach them those things that do happen around the world because a lot of the time, you know, in, in class, they like kids can't get that people are living on the streets mm. or that people don't get to go to school or people, yeah. you know, they, they don't even think about that. So I think teaching them that, you know, and even my daughter, I've got a five-year-old and, and as she's got so many questions over the last few years of, you know, we went to Vietnam last year, so there was that big difference, obviously, you mm. know, and, oh, why people live there and how come they're eating mm. from there and, you know, and so I think you've just got to try and make it real to them. But it is a, it's a, it's a struggle quite regularly for that difference. Yep. I think it's that thing too, to me, an element of this comes back to trust. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look at it, um, mm. kids often, you know, because of the relationship they have with a the teacher, they trust that you're making the right call. Yep. Unless there's been sort of a pattern of mm. behaviour that perhaps you, you haven't you, you haven't developed the trust. Yep. But what concerns me is when we look at that bigger picture agenda stuff, mm. is this element that what somehow teachers are, are, are conspiring to mm. to ruin the world yep. by looking out for one another. Yeah, you know, like please, uh, <laughs> there's just this this element that you know um, this lack of trust in professional judgment of people and professional judgment of people who are really, really invested in their work. Yes. I just find it, I actually find it offensive. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, as I nearly drove off the Westgate, um, as I heard that comment <laughs> yeah. um, about the new war, um, which I'm looking forward to the propaganda campaign about that, I just, uh, yeah, was um, pretty interested that, again, it's that thing of, um not trying to work with a really invested group of professional people about developing the society that everyone, I think, should have some sort of shared vision about. You know, there's that difference of the the two sides of politics. Well, yeah, you're going to disagree on some of it, but, gee, there should be. There should always be some middle ground that's sort of a bit of a no-brainer. So if we lead back to our big question, which I don't feel like we spent a lot of time <laughs> addressing the core issue of, which is on top of everything else we expect teachers to do in schools, is it reasonable to expect schools to also address social disadvantage? Um, Kylie, what would be your reaction to that core question? Well, yeah, I'll go back to the point that it's it's there. It's in schools. Yep. They're dealing with it whether they make okay. a choice about it or not, yep. you know, and the more that I think we can 
be planned and properly resourced mm-hmm. and um, really strategic about how those things are addressed, the more likely it is that we're actually going to be successful in addressing yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, I think that that statistical stuff, particularly around, you know, access to early childhood learning mm-hmm. and the, just how vast that gap becomes if people haven't got access, yep. how do you ever catch that up? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just think that uh, I think it's difficult for schools, so I, I will make that point, that at the moment I just don't think that we've got the resourcing mm. element uh, there. I don't think we value things. Like I know that when we were doing pathway sort of work with students, we, we took a real case management sort of yeah. uh, approach to things because it worked. Mm. Um, but that's an incredibly labour mm. and staffing intensive way of doing things. Mm. And unfortunately, we, we schools are trying to juggle their bucket of money, yeah. no matter really where they are, you know, how, how do you direct your resources to the right thing and everything, all of the little initiatives, that, well, not little always, but all of the initiatives schools are trying to run, there really aren't many of them that don't have validity in them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so it's an incredibly complex area. It is, yeah. Kylie, I, I think your point around schools are dealing with it anyways, a really, mm. really mm. strong one, mm. um, because my reaction to that question, and I can't remember, Kate, but I'm pretty sure I wrote that question. Yes, because <laughs> um, I've got a very strong opinion on it. Um, it is um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I'm quite willing to see schools try and do less other stuff. Um, a lot of the initiatives and the personally, I'm less taken by the strong emphasis on literacy and numeracy than a lot yep. of people are. Yeah. And, and I would rather see more time and energy mm. devoted to this. Um, my son's school is very good at literacy and numeracy, and he's picked up an enormous amount of that. Mm-hmm. And I would be very willing to see him less advanced down that track and, and being given more experiences that help lead um, him to a better understanding of why social justice is an important thing in our society. Yep. I'd, I'd be more than willing to make that sacrifice because you're right, Kylie, there's a bucket and at some point, to do something else, you have to take something else. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that thing too of the teaching moment is so rarely to do with subject content. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually that's another thing that you become more aware of as you um, develop as a teacher or, um, or, you know, you certainly see a lot of uh, learning support officers who are, just incredibly skilled in finding the teaching moment. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is, it's about that develop, you know, our obligation is to develop a whole person, yep. not just one yep. very limited aspect of someone. And in fact, I guess that that um, work that focuses on uh, kids that are taking um, alternative pathways, mm-hmm. vocational pathways in particular, if if we're too narrow in, in our definition of what success is, yep. Um, we just do an enormous number of, you know, amazing people a really mm. dis- a big disservice because then, you know, some kids are never going to meet some of the benchmarks mm. around uh, around that. Does it mean that they're never going to make a val- valuable contribution to society? I, I absolutely, you know, strongly disagree with that. Yeah. And Kate, so your answer to the main question today on top of everything else, mm-hmm. um, teachers do in schools, is it reasonable to expect schools to also address social disadvantage? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the kind of, I suppose, expect schools. Mm. You yeah. know, I think schools are like leadership teams are definitely, you know, working around that. And I think it just comes, I suppose, to the individual teacher. I think all the mm-hmm. teachers are doing what they can. But then you get those teachers that are trying to do more and, and go up and out of their way. So I think it just comes down to the type of person, you know, that it is. But I do like that helpers and doers. Mm. You know, all the teachers are helpers and most of them are helpers Mm. and doers and we'll try and make something, try and get the best out of that situation or that moment. So, yeah. Thanks, Kate. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, Kylie. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Kylie. interesting. And good luck on the front lines of the War of Education. (laughs) (laughs) See in the trenches. (laughs) The Teacher Learning Network podcast is hosted by Kate Chinner and Max Grarock. The Teacher Learning Network is the not-for-profit teacher professional development organisation that's supported by the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria Tasmania branch. We produce online and face-to-face professional learning opportunities for educators in schools and early childhood services. We also publish books, magazines and apps to support the education community. To view a calendar of our courses and find out more about our resources, please visit our website at www.tln.org.au. The Teacher Learning Network is a membership-based organisation. Schools and early childhood services join the TLN to support the individual professional learning needs of their staff. Once members, all staff can participate in their professional learning at no extra charge. To find out more about joining, visit www.tln.org.au forward slash join. If your school is a member of the Teacher Learning Network, you can produce a certificate recording your engagement with this podcast. These are great pieces of evidence for your professional learning records. You can generate a certificate by visiting www.tln.org.au forward slash podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback or input about the issues we've discussed today or any other suggestions for future podcasts. Please email any feedback or suggestions through to me via max at tln.org.au. If you like this podcast, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It helps us reach more teachers. Have a great day and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks.